for four yeah it was scary i shit i was in that cvs and i shit and welcome to the down front podcast the official podcast of downerfrontpodcast.com i'm your host warren i'm excited i'm glad that we were back we have a good good crew with us we have a bunch of my best friends and tonight we are talking about probably one of the most Debated movies of 2018, I think. Uh, Ready Player One, directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, music's by Alan Silvestri. It stars... Mm, I don't think there's many... Uh, not really, like, many superstars in the sh- uh, movie, but I'm excited to kind of unpack it. We're excited. We're talking about it. But let's, before we get into that, before we get into talking about how hopefully the Celtics win tonight, I'm going to toss it over to one of my best friends. I miss this guy. I haven't seen him in years. The Mouth of the South. Mr. Brylin, and he is drinking something super fancy tonight. So, Brylin, I'll let you, boy. What is up? Thank you, Warren. Good night. Good evening, everybody. Uh, uh, what I'm drinking right now is Apothic Brew. So, Apothic Brew came out this past Sunday mm-hmm. for Easter and April Fools. And it is Apothic, it's an Apothic Red mixed with cold brew coffee. And usually, I'm not one to get like limeritas or shandies and bs that adds fruit or whatever to your alcoholic beverage because i appreciate the beverage for what it is pure and this changes my mind i'm just gonna say it this is probably one of the best wines i've ever had um it definitely that in first sip tastes like a red but then you get a roller coaster of different flavors in your mouth while you drink it it is amazing hashtag sip to that let all your friends know about this. It, everybody needs to drink this. It's awesome. Uh, nice. What? Yep. And yeah, what I've been I'm, watching. Oh, go ahead. Proceed. I'm excited. I want to drink that, but I don't like coffee. So do you think it tastes too much like coffee? No. I would say you probably get like a hint of coffee, but it's not overpowered. Is it a chuggable wine? Um, I am starting to chug it. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I don't but, know if that's it because chug? a lot of it's in me in me right now. Um, but I am enjoying every sip I take. And what, what have you been watching? Mm. Uh, what I've been watching is I watched a Marvel movie. I have completed that little hole in my MCU universe watching experience, and I finally watched The Incredible Hole. So this is an interesting movie. It reminds me that at the beginning, Marvel didn't exactly know what they were doing. This is even like the most serious Marvel movie out there. There's not that many jokes in it or that mu- not much humor in it as well. Uh, it, but there are some really cool things about it. I like the whole idea of it being kind of like the fugitive meets Frankenstein. I like that concept and that idea. Um, I don't like, um, well, I don't know if this is on, um, 
the actor that plays Bruce Banner in it. I forget his name. Edward Norton. Uh, Edward Norton. Yes. Uh, Edward Norton's fault, but he has like 10 sentences in the whole movie that he says. So it's not much for him to work with. Um, and they also have a whole five minute scene where the Hulk is screaming at the rain and is afraid of the rain for some reason. Don't we all? Tim Roth is not a good bad guy. He's probably the worst bad guy in the MCU. Uh, and wow, I was like, Thunderbolt Ross, he definitely grew a conscience after this movie because he's basically just wanted to kill Bruce Banner the whole time in this movie. He's a very evil guy in this film. Um, but it's probably the worst film MCU in the MCU. Uh, the Dark World. I, Thor Dark World. I watched Dark World right after watching this, and Dark World at least has some entertaining moments. Dark World is definitely more entertaining. Hulk is a hunk of, hunk of green ship. Yeah. You guys are crazy. But as always, and, Brandon, great to see yeah, you. And, and Hulk and Abomination, they look like two Play-Doh claymations just having sex. It's true. Yeah, that, I'd, was I'd a, that was that. a decade ago, though, when that came out. So CGI has gotten a lot better. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I've seen Gumby. I mean, Gummy's a great show. Uh, but yeah, thanks. Uh, and Bradley, I'm excited for you to uh, actually be on this actual episode because I think, especially for us, can we have four of us here, that me and you have actually read the book uh, and um, blew it and Abbott has not. So it's going to be a very interesting and healthy conversation. Yeah, I don't know how to read. Yeah, this is Team No Read over here. Team Illiterate. Oh, there we go. Uh, let's talk about Team Illiterate. Let's toss it over to the beautiful Abbott, the abs man, who is the host of the Fear Boners. Uh, Abbott, what you uh, sipping on and what you been watching? I grew my hair out for this, you guys. Uh, I'm sipping on some um, Chivas Chivo Loco. It's the cheap $3 bottle of wine that they do at the liquor store down the street. I think they just got a big shipment of it, and it's been there for years, but I don't know where it comes from. Um, it's part Syrah, part Monsterell. I've never heard of either of those wines, but it's a blend, and it's from 2010, so it's well-aged at this point. It's almost a decade old, um, and I think it means crazy goat. I don't know. I don't speak any language other than English. It's pretty good. It's cheap. does the trick. Uh, and then um, what I've been watching, I actually just, um, less than an hour from this recording, I finished watching uh, the Trailer Park Boys season 12 with Kyle out in the living room. Um, they've been doing that for so long now, now that they're like sort of a Netflix franchise um it's still good um funny as hell uh they can still pull it off i'm still excited to see what they do with the next season um if they do a next season uh so yeah if you're a fan of that season or even if you haven't or that show or if you haven't watched it definitely check it out it's all on netflix 12 seasons definitely a lot to catch up on if you want to laugh 12 seasons That's yeah weird. it's weird to wow. think about yeah, it's one of those shows that I feel like came out two years ago. I was like, I might check it out on Netflix now, 12 seasons later. That was my reaction. I remember picking it up when it was like four or five seasons in and being like, I keep getting people telling me about how funny this is. And I watched it, laughed my ass off, and now I've been watching it ever since. And it is. it is. It's hilarious. Um, it just really gives you a, a great feel for how life in Canada is pretty much all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Our neighbors to the north. Uh, I was going to make a Game of Thrones joke, but also, also great to see you. And it's nice to actually see your face instead of just hear your voice playing Monster Hunter. So always, always a good time. Always a good time. Love you guys. Love you guys. 
Uh, I'm going to toss it over to my very best friend. Yes, that's even more so than Brylin and Abbott. Uh, the shredder of everybody's oh, dreams. <laughs> no, Mike blew it. Mike, what's up, man? Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, just shredding away here. I uh, do my thing. I got some water for tonight uh, because the last couple decades of my life have been, uh, you know, a little bit. So I'm trying to keep it down, keep it down. <laughs> <laughs> so dark. It's tax season, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, as for what I've been watching, uh, nothing really. I've just I've been I'm real busy. Like there's been a lot of crazy stuff going on that has been absolutely nothing. Um I went and played paintball on Easter. That's about that's about it everything that I've done exciting. But that's in re- the real world, not like a fake world, so I don't know. Like well, the Oasis? Yeah, oh. I was gonna say that's a pretty apt uh comparison. You know, I, I unplugged and, and shot people in real life. Uh, they did give me coins when they... Don't say that. Don't say that. You don't want that recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it's not like this thing's going on YouTube or anything. Uh... Oh. Is that too soon? <laughs> that's like hours later. <laughs> yeah, that's too soon, bro. <laughs> so uh, uh, today is my last time on the podcast. I will not be invited <laughs> back. <laughs> no, nobody no. wants to edit this. You'll be back. <laughs> no, but I, I've been literally watching nothing. I've been busy like twenty hours straight. That's not even a whole day. Nope. I you still have time to them. sleep and poop. It was mostly or poop. poop. While you sleep. Ooh, I mean that's what I do. I wear diapers. But as as well, uh, great to see you. Uh, great for having you. Uh, I am Warren. I will be the host for this evening's episode, and uh, I am actually still drinking my red wine blend uh, called Block Red uh, Cabernet Sauvignon from uh, Trader Joe's. So uh, shout out to uh, Shelby for that because she left this here for a while ago, and I have been slowly sipping away. And I was really excited to finally binge and catch up on Love Season Three. That's on Netflix. Has anybody else seen the show? I don't believe in love. Okay. Um, uh, it's uh, executive produced by, um, uh, crap, the guy who done, like, Ooh, the... Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow, thank you. And then Paul Rust and stars Jillian Anderson and, like, a bunch of people. Like, the show's absolutely solid. I think it's one of the... It's a show that definitely makes you think. Um, and I think it's probably the best representation of sometimes sort of chaotic or uh, just like relationships in general, how they can work, how they not work and like kind of ups and downs. It doesn't really kind of fairy tale things for you. And it really kind of shows like people deal with shit a lot. And when it comes to love and relationships and things that happens. And um, I think it was, a, I heard a rumor that I think this may have been like the, uh, this will be the last season. And if it is, I think it ended at a, at, on an absolute perfect note um, because we've literally grew with these characters. They only had three seasons. Um, but we really grew with these characters throughout the entire sort of um, series. And uh, it's, it's very interesting, but it's, it's also a little, like, people say it's a little bit dark, but I just think it's more honest. It's more real approach of, you know, relationships aren't easy, just like friendships aren't easy. And it takes some sacrifice and, and kind of a lot of back and forth. So um, I really, really enjoyed the show. Um, that's Love is season three. Definitely on Netflix. So definitely go check it out. I have a question. Jillian yeah. Anderson, is, is that who you said was in it? Are there any aliens in the show? 
No. Okay. That's I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we're excited. We're pumped. And as always, we're going to give you a quick intermission for everybody. And this is going to be our spoiler warning. So uh, we're going to get into our entire sort of section in which we're going to be talking about and potentially ruining um, Ready Player One. And we're going to be talking about all spoiler and just everything that we like and didn't like and things that we want to do better next time. So if you haven't seen the movie, I would pause, go watch the movie, come back and pick up, and we will begin momentarily. See you soon. Podcast, the official podcast of downfrontpodcast.com. We are here. I'm with Brylin, Abbott, Mike Blewett, and myself, Warren, and we're going to be reviewing and giving you an entire spoiler filled section of Ready Player One, directed by Steven Spielberg. It's exciting because I, uh, I read the book, Brylin has read the book, Abbott can't read, and Mike is just too busy and also can't read. Um, so I'm excited to actually kind of toss this up and kind of talk about a few different topics and do a few different things. So I'm excited to talk about probably the characters in the acting and the stuff that we talked about this movie. So I'm going to toss it over to first Bryland and says, talk to me about Ready Player One. All right. So one thing I think is pretty awesome about this movie is when it comes to the characters i really like the avatar designs they remind me a lot about of an old 90s saturday morning cartoon called reboot just done oh, 20 yes. times better which they put us a new one on that just fantastic i love it where it's there's a new reboot yeah they did like a remake on netflix it's like a canadian production oh crazy love they did a reboot of reboot shut up warren <laughs> Yeah, shut up. Uh, uh, and interesting fun fact is those character designs uh, were created by um, Steven Spielberg's daughter, Michaela, which is pretty cool. Um, but they had a really unique thing. I thought it was pretty cool that those characters kind of like showed a bit of the personality of who the actual people were. So like H's character is very gadgety and stuff. Uh, Daito's is very like stoic and samurai and they do a really good job of like just purveying who they are from the real world into the virtual world of the Oasis. Um, but when it comes to the actual acting in the movie, um, it's pretty solid except for one person I'll point out in a bit, but I would say two characters that were, I thought were freaking phenomenal were uh, Mark Rylance and Simon Pegg as Halliday and Og. Um, I thought their relationship was the heart of the movie. I thought it was the whole exploration of how Halliday was 
in love with uh, Og's wife before they got married, uh, but he never took the chance. And I kind of like that theme. And it's some that's not in the book that they kind of run with. And I thought it actually improved a little bit on like the actual thematic, the theme of what the book was trying to say uh, was this like, hey, no matter what you are in this virtual world and stuff, being yourself and having courage to take that leap, as they say, um, will definitely be a lot more rewarding. Um, and Simon Pegg is almost unrecognizable in this film. I mean, he definitely dives into that character and he has an amazing American accent for one. I didn't even realize that it was uh, Simon Pegg until the credits rolled. And so that's usually like a sign I see that that was fantastic acting. Um, and Mark Rylance, I love his very kind of on the spectrum, super genius uh, game designer, software designer that he has, that he speaks kind of in his own language, but he's able to function. Uh, but still, some things are a hurdle for him, like social connections and things like that. But he will understand like what it needs to make a business succeed. I wish they explored a lot more of these type of things with uh, Halliday and Og, but for the moments they were in there, they definitely brought a lot to that story. Um, I do agree, agree with a lot of those points that you're saying, Brylan. Even I think they they definitely could have done more, but you know, it, like in the end of the movie, um, when he's like hunting for like the golden egg and like the Easter egg that he's trying to give him, and that just just him being like kind of sort of socially awkward, but not really. But he like exactly was saying like he picks up on some sort of social cues and the way that they wrote it in the movie was like this is like his uh, his his clue was inside like the whole shining moment and stuff like that. And uh, because he never took like that first leap. And I like how they had a video game that talks about like some stereotypicalness of like nerds like people who are like super smart right i i enjoyed that and i like some of his mannerisms that he um was portraying even as he was the uh, anorak um character so i thought that was pretty cool well Hall halliday's character um as i appreciate that you mentioned that like uh, like he could potentially be on the spectrum when my back when my mom taught she taught kids with asperger's and and other conditions and i would go in and help her with um working with those kids and I saw like in his performance, you can definitely see that. And, you know, they gravitate towards like, like these sort of fandoms, like video games, cartoons, movies, things like that. And like him being an adult male in a successful position, multi-million dollar company and portraying that and acting in that role. Like it was very convincing. And it, I was very con like, I was very convinced and very happy to see that he was uh, accomplished in that mission. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the other side of that thing, uh, other other side of that coin, I think that one actor that it didn't didn't do a really good job was Ben Mendelsohn uh, as Sorrento. I thought it's in a. I don't know if it's on Ben Mendelsohn for this issue because a lot of like one weird thing before I saw this movie was I was hearing a lot of like Spielberg's return to form. It's like, did he ever lose his form in the first place is one question. But um, I did not realize they were literally me at his return to making an 80s movie because this is literally a Spielberg 80s movie plot point by plot point. We'll get in the plot later. But one thing it does with this character is it is that character from 
it is that bad guy from ET. It is that bad guy from um from like Indiana Jones. It's that it's the very cartoony that you can't take seriously. He's no threat, but for some reason he's opposing them. And it creates a lot of silly silly circumstances. Um, even though him having his password on his VR rig is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> it's it's played, I mean, it's definitely dumb, but there's times where like he he's like refusing to take a gun, then he takes a gun, he pull, holds up the gun, and then a crowd disperses because it's one guy holding up a gun. And I'm like, oh my god, that would not fucking happen, especially <laughs> yeah. in some place like the stacks, which is a ghetto. <laughs> that is not going to happen. Yeah, how did the, no um, one else in the ghetto not have their own? Is it called a piece? <laughs> I think I they get, call it a ghetto blaster. I, I get, I get. Or no, that's a, that's a, that's a stereo. Never they mind. they should have been strapped with the gat. Strapped, <laughs> strapped with a gat. Strap ons. Yeah. But I mean, there's and Ben Mendelsohn. He's played some great villains in like Rogue One and stuff. But it was he either can't chew the scenery enough to embellish on this character or it was just a bad written role. See, now, Brian, like, did, a- did it seem like he had an, like he was trying to force an accent in the beginning of the movie? Cause I felt like he had this weird accent in the first few scenes he was in and then it disappeared. I mean, he sound, I mean, it just sound like Krennic again to me, but just like trying to be a bit more emotive. Maybe. So I, I- watch it again. I didn't really have too much of an issue with him as a villain. I actually really liked um, the whole the whole cartoony part of him um, and the fact that he wasn't really a threat. Like this movie at its core is about uh, our protagonist trying to conquer the Easter egg, not about person versus person. Um, and so I think that you can get away with having a villain that absolutely has no real threat to the heroes because that's not the central conflict. Um, the, I, I honestly loved how he was bizarro. Like it spoke to who he was as a person. And, and truthfully, I wish that they went into this more where he was an intern and he like worked his way up and tried to mon- monotonize everything kind of like went off the rails there. But at the end, he is still so secondary to the real geniuses that make this you know, this world exists. And it's, he's basically has this like digital Napoleon concept where he needs to really punch upwards and be more evil than the rest of them just to gain le- uh, legitimacy uh, rather than being truly the smartest man in the room. Uh, I kind of yeah, like I... that. The, 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 you're right at the end though, that whole gun scene was stupid. I love that his, his avatar was like a weird amalgamation of like Clark Kent and Superman. And it's like, well, this is the bad guy, though. Like, how does that? Well, isn't, isn't that isn't that Bizarro, though? Uh, you could, Bizarro I mean, you there. could sort of interpret it that way. He had the he had the weird eyes, but like he was like this. He was dressed like Clark Kent, but he looked like Superman because he had the curl. Yeah. And like you could tell that's how he saw himself, but he's still the bad guy. And it's like, well, shit, like, doesn't everybody sort of see themselves as Superman at one? You know, like. You kind of want to believe that you're Superman, but you're really Clark Kent. And like at the end of the day, like he was a shit stain. Like that was great. I thought that was awesome. Right. I thought I like I said, I thought it really it was interesting that his avatar of himself was something so wildly different just so he could pretend to be the strong guy, you know, and, and be the like the, the perfect person rather than, uh, you know, kind of the whatever person he was. But I there's some really idiotic things that they make him do. Like, I understand, like, 
big corporation wanting to monetize everything and capitalize on every inch. But to have like a line where it's like, once we have 80% of the screen advertised, they're not going to go into <laughs> seizures. And they're trying to play it as a joke, but it just sounds lame when it comes out. To be, to be fair, have you looked at any website from 2006 and then compared it to the version now? You, I'm pretty sure that was a very, very good social commentary. Not really. I mean, there are sites that won't serve if you have ad blocker on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because they literally push it as hard as they. I I thought that line was very good. Uh, I just uh, I know going off of Sorrento, I think um, the thing at least they could have changed the movie was make Sorrento and Irox character one person, um, and not make Sorrento seem such like a, a bumbling like guy who's just completely like out of it. Like I think it would have been uh, more impactful if he actually would have cared, but he still would have monetized, but he was a good player, right? And although if he would have been a good player, he doesn't need to know all the knowledge. They can still feed him all that knowledge, but he at least understands some of the mechanics of the game and not like zero knowledge of the game at all. Uh, It just made it seem like this dude's, this guy's a stereotypical business guy. I feel like they put like business guy one, go and we're not even going to write a script for you i like their issues i have their dynamic though is like great because it's it is kind of like what you see today there's so many people trying to monetize on the gaming industry like now is a very like volatile time with that sort of stuff and the the scene where irock even kind of tries to rebel and does call sorrento a noob like that part was hilarious because you know irock was just the dude who's been sitting in front of his computer for like lord knows how many days but, but we can even talk Sorrento about the so- that makes that hilarious. It's ironic yeah. that makes that. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but we can make and that social commentary. Great. Like you can talk about the social commentary and like kind of even bring it. Like the people who really kind of push those like ads and stuff like that are gamers who actually play in that are already signed contracts with these people, and so they're like literally these large game companies are funneling their agenda through these gamers who has all these followers, and that's how this ends up working out. So. They could have. They could have did it. I know that we're getting like a bit off topic with um with characters, but I just think that that because they had the Iraq character was popping up out of nowhere, and T.J. Miller's voice is just very distracting to me. I like him, but that that was just distracting in that role because it was just trying to be funny for no reason. I felt, uh, and then Sorrento was just such a such an unlikable character. And I'm like, well, I don't care about either one of these people. It's, it's just tough to want to watch them, especially when you have your password. On this fucking post-it note there like come on like so warren when when can we sign a contract with a gaming company oh we already did okay good okay yeah. prices on the can prices on the can arizona iced games you got iced <laughs> uh what else about um characters guys and um sort of like acting that we, we do want to talk about talk i about- did love the concept um the character design for irock like I saw him approach the, the approach the the camera, and I was like, "Oh, your chest is a skull, and the eyes and the nose and everything is like that. That's really cool. That that's mad cool." <laughs> At first, well, because there's that one scene where um, who is it? Is it Cringer or is it the um from from He Man? The lion shows up, and I was like, "Is he? Is he Skeletor?" And then I was like, "Ah, oh, no, he's just some random character made up, but he's still pretty cool." But I would have loved to see more Masters of the Universe, but his character design was really cool. What about the main character? I was kind of like... I could definitely tell he was made up by a 12-year-old. 
Wait, yes. how old is Steven Spielberg's daughter? Uh, she's like in her 20s. Yeah, I could, I could tell she was made up by a 12-year-old. <laughs> Ty Sheridan plays Wade. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I've actually seen him in anything else. X-Men Apocalypse. He's Cyclops. Oh, oh yeah. That's why, that's why okay. I cringed. Yeah, a little bit. He yeah. was okay in that movie. He was okay. He had his moments. I mean, he had the correct amount of awkwardness, I think. I don't think, like, I... He's be more of a dick. <laughs> does he? Does he need to be more of a dick? Or or Cyclops. Cyclops, yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, we'll talk... I mean, he was, he was yeah. pretty solid. Yeah. Um, I think he sold I it. I thought he had some... He had some really good moments. Like, I like... I love his whole thing about trying to get ready for the dance and going through uh, different like costumes he's going to wear. I thought that was really fun and really uh, talked about like his personality a lot. And like um, just seeing him, like how he's interacting with uh, Artemis throughout um, that. he, I mean, he did, instantly has a crush on her because he's, it's like that guy that's been watching that twitch girl that he's been watching forever and then he's like oh i finally met her he's like what do i do and this guy is like the rarity of like actually breaking through that like mold of dating a twitch streamer if he I feel wants like to this is that. about to get very autobiographical really quick on brayland <laughs> <laughs> but also done. like he, he has that moment where like his aunt and trailer park uncle get blown up and then the scene later he's just like oh thank god i survived oh yeah all those people got killed like all the people that like all the families we saw as he climbed down in the first scene of the movie when he's climbing down from his apartment like the families and all the people playing also on the wayside get blown the fuck up and he's okay with it a scene later like there's literally no no scene for him to deal with that no scene for him to process that he's literally just back in the game he doesn't really give a shit like i don't feel like that was the one thing that distracted me is he was a little bit too okay with all those people getting blown the fuck up. Yeah. I got, I got a little bit like that. Um, kind of maybe involved in the plot, but kind of with the characters. So it was, there was the, um, the two other parts of the high five. Like I thought H did a, had a pretty good arc. Um, and then obviously the two leads had pretty good arcs, but the other two, like at the end, when the one guy is before turning into a Gundam pilot, which I actually really love that, um, that was he was kind of like meditating there. And they're like, dude, you need to get involved. You need to go. You need to go. But there was nothing in his character at all before that that would say that would happen. Um, so that yeah. that part blew it is a direct sort of um, section from the book. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to unpack that a little bit later once we talk about that, because it makes it makes a lot more sense why he's doing that because they're fighting a, a big battle and there's something that happens in the book that's vastly different that doesn't happen in the movie. And so that there's a logical progression of why he does that. So it's the exact thing that you had said before of we get A and C, but what the heck happened to B, that's that B component that you're missing. Yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense in the book, uh, excuse me, in the movie. And so it's it was weird when I said, I, I know who that character is and I know what they're trying to do, but I don't think people are going to pick up on it. So I'm yeah, glad you the, called that out. As, as in the I was book, talking about in the video teaser, it was like, um, yeah, there was there was a lot of, like Abba was saying too, where you had A, you know, with uh, our main character, with all the people in the stacks, and then all of a sudden he's like very fine that they're gone and trying to just push on with life. But then, weirdly enough, leverages that whole like sense of loss 
in the last scene to try and stop the bad dudes, even though that didn't work and gave us the stupid circles. It's kind of a mess, the, the character development there. It's, it almost seems like you could have limited, uh, like cut down on a lot of the characters' screen times um, and just had them... I feel like less... You can be more random and be, be forgiven more with uh, less screen time. Instead, they put a focus on them for some points, and therefore, like, my mind started wandering and being like, well, why are they doing this? Why is this happening? What is this reaction coming from? Well, on like, I, yeah, give, I didn't give more of a different, uh, like response. Oh, like when you finally meet him besides I am 11 year old kid, because you see throughout this movie, there's tons of like kid, like people of all ages wearing VR goggles and fighting on the streets and everything. They kept doing that too. They kept repeating like character dynamics. Like one of the things they did early on in the movie was they repeated the fact that like one of the first things that Wade says is, oh, my parents died. I live with my aunt. And then later on, he says, oh, my parents died. I live with my aunt. And it happened again. And then the same thing happened with the one character where he's like, oh, I'm 11. What do you want to do? Give me a hug. And then he says it again. Or like what? And they keep doing that. And it's repetitive. But I mean, maybe that is supposed to be reflective of video games in general being repetitive and sending you on missions doing the same thing over and over again maybe that's what they were going for but i don't know i think they were trying to pull something off that didn't really come through directly because some of the characters didn't portray the same way that they did in the book obviously i don't know because i didn't read the book but if you can tell me that the book also has a fight between a gundam a mecha Godzilla, it does. Okay, well that's fine. I mean, but honestly, like if I'm talking to you as a full blown adult who doesn't know how to read, I would rather see it in a movie than read it in a book. Well, the thing about it is that once we get there, we'll talk about. We're not going to obviously unpack all part components of the book, but the movie starts off with them trying to get this piece, and that's then culminated at the end of the uh near the the battle sequence that they kind of sort of they they showed like maybe 15 percent of what it should have been really um and it was a huge huge deal of why it ended up happening because there's like a timer limit on it and like they also explain a lot of stuff for the reasons why uh, in the book but you have like obviously more time and i think we talked about this before in a little bit but i think that's one of the issues that i think also we when we're talking about characters when we talk about acting right I, I really just think they needed more time and more time does translate into like uh, maybe two movies, maybe three movies. I know we talk about three movies, maybe two movies. Right. And just have key number one and two be number uh, movie one and then key number three and then everything else. Because there's a lot of stuff that happens in that third arc or that third act would be uh, movie number two. And you just have a chance to kind of breathe and learn why H and you learn who H is and you learn why she has a van and you just learn all this stuff. That's um, it just starts to make a lot more sense. Yeah. I At the end of the day, aren't we all trying to just get a piece? I couldn't decide whether I wanted more time in the real world or more time in the Oasis at the end of this movie. Like I, you know, I'll open this question up to you guys. Like I think they try to jam too much in, but I also think that if you put more time in the real world, cause that's where they really fostered those like, those relationships then all of a sudden you have less time with gundams fighting mecha godzilla 
And then the flip side, I think that if you had everything in the Oasis, you lose a little bit of the personal touch. Well, they miss a big like point of the Oasis that it is not just a place to play games. That is also people where people go to school, go to work and make money and stuff like that. Well, that's that what I thought was like weird. The was primary, like the primary like economic system of the world at that time. And they really don't get that across in this movie. Uh, it's more of just like, hey, it's a big gaming platform that essentially everybody plays. And then when they're not in it, they're going about their lives. Like you notice, I mean, the way they describe the stacks in the world, the real world in the books is that, yeah, fuels run out, water is scarce, and it's very bad place for everybody. So they all go to the oasis and that you do see in this movie. Yeah, you have the stacks, but it's also just like another neighborhood. You see a good neighborhood. You see like the corporate sector of the of Columbus, Ohio. So they kind of missed the ball and the point of what the book was trying to convey with what the Oasis is. Yeah, I wasn't quite convinced in the dystopian future, like considering it was so far flung, like 2045 didn't seem that bad once we got out of the, like you see the stacks and it's like a, you know, it's like a stacked up mobile home, like trailer park. But then you do see other parts of the city and that doesn't look like any other part of like when I go to San Diego for Comic-Con, I see that kind of like tent cities with homeless people living out there. Like that just looked like what I've seen when I drive into the city, like that shit that's going on nowadays. Like people live like that nowadays. Like, that's not anything new. That's not anything far-flung future-like. Like, that's happening. But, yeah, I don't think... I feel like it's probably pushed a lot harder in the books, but in the movie, there was this weird separation where suddenly there's this Stax neighborhood that doesn't really jive with the rest of the world and it's just kind of doing its own thing, and there's this weird disconnect that didn't really come across, I feel like, correctly or successfully. Yeah, I mean, as we transition into, like, talking about, right, like, from actors and characters to, like, differences in the book and the movie, uh, and, like, kind of vice versa, it really does become apparent that there's just a lot of stuff that they just kind of left out or they couldn't add in for some whatever reason, right? It's just not in this movie. Um, and that's a that's a big one in particular because you, you start to learn exactly, like, who um Parcival or Wade's character is um and the fact that he's not he is nothing he doesn't have anything he doesn't have a you know a DeLorean car that he drives he doesn't really have a lot of that stuff in the um uh in the book so he really kind of has to build up and he the what makes him special right what makes him kind of the chosen one is his vast like ridiculous amount of like obsessive knowledge on holiday and He's just been studying it and studying it and studying it this entire time. And uh, we just don't get that time that you get from the books. And so you are introduced to that pretty early on. And the fact that um, I think somebody had said it, I think it was Blewett. They actually spend, I don't know if it's a percentage, but the the large percentage of it, I think it's like, like maybe like 70% in the Oasis or in the you know virtual world in the book, I think. And then at one point they disconnect completely and spend a lot of time in the real world and it gets crazy like absolutely fucking crazy what happens in the real world and then in order to kind of finish the game right you have to then go back to the virtual world and then you just spend kind of the rest of the time in there um and it's it's interesting to see like they were kind of 
basically jumping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth a lot. And it was kind of distracting, especially all the side characters of um, Middleton's like henchmen's, the woman henchman that was trying to kill them. That was like, that was just kind of weird and just kind of wasted time, I thought. Um, yeah, she didn't have enough screen time at all. There yeah. wasn't really any explanation for what she was doing. Yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of stuff that they kind of put into it that it was just kind of a bummer, um, even for the fact like the first, uh, like the scoreboard, right? They even kind of mentioned that scoreboard was like a big, big thing. And when Parsifal found like the first key, he got it. Um, Artemis was there, but, you know, Parsifal, I think, like figured it out first. And that's why his name was on the board. And that's when he became like crazy because everybody was like trying to find out who he was and how he ended up figuring it out and he was he was the only name on the board for like a long time and there was like a lot of time that you can like live with that and then things started kind of progressing and that leaderboard would change constantly 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 well Uh, i don't i don't know about you guys but i had this moment when he actually revealed like in the movie at least when he's talking to artemis and he's like my name's i love you my name's wade i like (laughs) i kind of had a moment where i was just like but you never, you fucking like. Even if you're talking to like, you're talking to some some girl like that you think's a girl. It might not even be a girl, but you're talking to her on like a fucking chat room. You don't tell her your real name. Fuck that. Like you don't tell anybody your real. Like I grew up. We grew up in the era where it's thing. like, yeah, you don't tell anybody your real information because next thing you know they're fucking showing up on your doorstep. That's terrifying. Yeah. Like nowadays it's not a big deal because like whatever everybody knows everybody's the internet like whatever anybody connects. But like back when you're we growing up in the nineties, it's like. No, that's, that's I'm, I'm glad she responded accordingly too, though. Where yeah, she was like, right? "You're an idiot. Don't fucking say, don't tell me your name. I don't give a fuck what your name is." Yeah, I wish they really doubled down on what it meant that Parsival like got to the top of Scarboard first. That instant celebrity like uh, pressure and show that a bit more. They do have like, "Hey, let me take a picture with you. Let me take a picture with you." and it's a way that IROC actually uses to like kind of eavesdrop on Parsifal and Artemis. But there's also some really cool things in the book, like um, Parsifal having to deal with sponsorships and uh, which ones is he going to take? Which job is he going to take to keep himself financially competitive, competitive still in the rat race and everything, but also who's going to screw him over and who's not. And I think that is a struggle they should have had in the movie that they're totally missing. I feel like the the stress of washing out in the book was probably heavier because it's sort of touched upon in the in the movie like oh if you die you lose all your shit and like I could think about that like Warren think about if we were playing Monster Hunter and if you got killed by a monster you lose all your stuff like 200 yeah. hours worth of stuff just goes once you get killed like I'll that break would my, suck yeah. break yeah. my PlayStation we would both yeah. just be crying at each other like nonstop oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 I can see that and so like. In the in the movie, it's just kind of like whatever, because then you see the montages of Planet Doom where they're just like shooting each other left and right, and people are dying, whatever, and like people no, nobody seems to care because they just want to farm coins, and like that's kind of understanding. But I feel like it's stressed more possibly in the book. Can either of you confirm that? Uh, it that actually isn't um, stressed too much of like dying. Um, in it just doesn't happen as much. I mean, when it happened, that kind of sucks, but it, it it just wasn't stressed too much about it. The one biggest thing that I was kind of alluding to earlier, um, and then I think definitely Bradley can help me out with this, but you have like the the five uh, those main five characters, and there's a point in which people start finding like so I O I O D I think their name are I O I I O I. There we go. Um, they start finding out 
these people's real identities and they are trying, they're hunting, they're hunting these people down. They're trying to get this Easter egg and they're trying to basically just take over this game and just control it so much that they, I can't remember how they found um, Daito's, but I think they were, uh, he at one point, like they were all like playing stuff was happening. And then it was weird because he had this recording and he was basically saying that hey this corporation is evil they've been going after people they've been killing people like let's we need to rise up and like almost have like a small revolution so they had to take him out so there's a he had this camera like recording him as he's playing on this vr and they burst into it because they find out who he was they burst into his room and they throw them out of the window with all his VR gear, all his gear on. And I think in the book, it's like, oh, he just like logged off. But you see him like literally die. You know, they actually like describe that, you know, Daito actually dies in the book. And he's long, long gone. Now, Daito and Sho are like best friends, but they were like brothers. because They always played together. And like they had like this awesome brotherhood that they always were together the entire time. And so... Then you fast forward to that part that you were talking about, Blewett, of there was these pieces that they had to collect. I think it was three pieces, Brylin. Do you remember how many pieces were there? The arm. I thought there was like another piece that he had to collect to get like this mega, this the mechanic, like the mechanical, um, the mechanical warrior. Uh, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I got I got to look back into it. But he basically was collecting all these pieces because. They had like one chance and he sacrificed himself. That's why he's doing that like um um that meditation that you were talking about. He sacrificed himself and literally I think he actually dies. He also dies in the book too. So Show also dies when he sacrificed himself to save everybody else. And it makes a lot more sense in the book because he dies and in the movie. Show and Daito are not dead, and everybody was just going through and killing their avatars and be like, "Well, oh, okay, whatever." Um, and it just really like uh, it just deleted and like just changed the stakes of it because if death is not a you know issue, right? If that's not like a something to be afraid of, then who cares? And it was just really tough. I think they definitely could have afforded to murk a few more of the uh, the main characters because it was like you reach the end of the movie and everybody's still alive. It's like, well, yeah. But shit, what happened? Oh, yeah, but my my avatar died. Who cares? Like, that's not like that's not relevant. Like, I understand. Yeah, it's almost going back on what I just said. Like, washing out in the game is like one thing you wasted time. But like, if you die in the real world, like after the explosion of the stacks, that's the only time that like it gets real. Otherwise, it's like, okay, so that guy's got a gun. He wants to kill Wade. But yeah, like if that was now I'm a little upset because now you're telling me people people die in the book like i kind of wish people died in the movie too well that so, that has like that give, uh gives it more of like gravity where things that happen in the oasis have ramifications that carry over to the real world which yeah. is usually not the case with currently how video games uh, operate also one last thing on the stacks uh we didn't as an audience we shouldn't have cared for them at all like it was the abusive boyfriend and like garbage his, people yeah it was just I mean, like it was like terrible human beings that we were supposed to feel distant from and then they go and die. I mean, honestly, we were talking about earlier Wade's instant transformation back to like, hey, I'm fine. Let's just go try and get the uh, the keys again. I mean, that's as an audience kind of how we were supposed to told. No one we really Are you saying they're like paper dolls sent through the shredder? But paper yeah, dolls I that mean, were like they- abusive and hit their kids. A lot of the side <laughs> characters just remind me of like those 80s Spielberg films. 
that of those same side characters that you do have like the crazy drunk husband and the wife that stays with them and but yells at them and stuff. Yep. But it always has this level of cleanness to it that you don't really see in the real world. And like if you look at the stacks, they're like neat organized trailer parks that hey, we have some very nice curated trash over here for you. Or this nice little flaming um bin over here that's got some um like perfectly symmetrical like homeless people walking around it and stuff. And I'm just like even your bad parts of town look too nice. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, well, Roald Dahl what, used to say that like the adventure doesn't begin until the parents are gone ish. I'm like paraphrasing, but like is, in both most of his books, he used to kill the parents right off. So um, that makes sense. Like the the aunt and the the weird white trash uncle beater guy was were killed super quick. So that's when things started to pick up. So that made more sense to me. But like, I, I guess like the reaction wasn't what I would expect. So, I mean, there's a lot of other things. I'll, I'll just do like a few highlights from like big differences that I think really changed the outcome of the movie. Um, like in like in the book, uh, Wade was like really kind of once they like killed um, some people, he like really was like, OK, this is what I'm going to do. So he bought a bunch of like just back like his backdoor like sort of codes and like blacklist codes and stuff like that and like just logged off, got a job at IO like IO. IO. IOI. I was like, why the heck am I say IOD? Um, he got a job at IOI, like shaved his head, like got moved into this new apartment, like infiltrated them from the inside, and then to bring to bring them down like internally, which is this kind of crazy thing that's happening, which was just an awesome way of just seeing like because he was like struggling too, and it was like crazy how like he was like super, super overweight and like out of shape too, and he got like fit. So it's like this this thing that they you also they, they explained of why he's doing all of this stuff. I know what that's all, like. Yeah, it's also explained why H is driving a van and like H has like the super fast like Wi-Fi and because she doesn't want to get seen or kind of caught, they can never like pinpoint because they were always close. Then she like goes away and like they can never like find where she was. And at a moment, that's when uh, H finds uh, like links up with Wade. And that's when it was like this huge sort of like revelation that, oh, H is a, a woman, actually. It's not a man. And that also was, like, kind of ruined in this movie, I think, because I, I can recognize her voice when I heard of her talk for the first time. I was like, oh, was, I actually know who that actress is. Well, that's what I thought. I thought, because she like was the, the only character that had a voice changer. I thought it was going to be, especially when she got into the whole, like, oh, well, Artemis could be a 300-pound guy from Detroit. I thought it was going to be this weird storyline where she was going to be in love with Wade. I thought that's what they were kind of going for. I'm glad they never did that. Yeah. Now, it was a huge, it was a huge, huge point in the book. There was just this, like, an amazing reveal that they just didn't care about in the movie at all. And it yeah. was, like, it was kind of a sad because it, it, it made more sense. You also see that how, how close of friends that they've known each other and played together for like a long, long time. And then finally, the moment that they meet in real life, it's like everything turns upside down because Wade wasn't even good at talking two women and his best friend this entire time is a woman. Um, it's like if you and I were playing monster hunter and suddenly I found out, even though I'd met you previously and identified you as male, suddenly you were a female. That would, that would be weird. It would be interesting. Well, what's behind door number one, Johnny. Oh so, man, the whole time. <laughs> what, um, what really surprised me because like I was reading a lot about like the development of this movie. Cause I really liked the book 
Um, and our first heard Gabby Sidibe was going to be uh, H, uh, and it did not turn out to be Gabby Sidibe, who I think would have been amazing for the role. No, what's Gabby uh, Sidibe in? Uh, she was in Precious. Oh, okay. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Not more. It was interesting. I was just talking to this movie with Lewis, and uh, he was like, because he was reading the book. Uh, he hadn't watched a movie just yet, so he wants to finish the book so he can watch the movie. And he said, you know, I like the fact that they gave her uh, this, like, tomboyish sort of look, uh, and they made H a man in the virtual reality instead of a woman, because that's the only time that she can be who she identifies as in, like, real life. Not really. And I thought that was an interesting sort of concept that I actually never thought of. I thought it was pretty cool. I'll, I'll play some lady characters in World of Warcraft from time to time. Wait, so is she a female avatar in the book? No, 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 no. no. She's a no, male. It's, oh, it's okay. just a male. Okay. But it's, it doesn't look anything like the what, what we get in, the, um, in this actual movie. And I think the other thing that um, was different, uh, I think that entire... Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. All the, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't want to like nitpick everything, but like almost every puzzle was different. Uh, they had a lot more video games and the challenges that they had to do that they just kind of glossed over. Um but it was just the fact like the end sort of battle sequence was just very, very different also. Um, <clears throat> even like the third sort of key was also different. And it it really kind of changed a lot of the stuff that. That's why one of the things I think is that it's, it's a completely different movie, because once you change two or three things, you're like, whoa. I don't understand why they're doing this. That doesn't really make sense. So, well, that's yeah, the what, third, one thing the third about key. That, uh, the third key set felt so irrelevant in the movie because I was like, shit, I've seen this walkthrough on YouTube. Like the other two, the first two were more like in, like were more personal to him, mm-hmm. the way that they were presented in the movie. And the third one was just like, yeah, but did you know about the secret room and adventure though? Like, yeah, I have, I have to balance this key to, put Oh my God, that part drove me crazy. Ju- the part where he was yeah, fucking that, trying to like, that, Oh my God. Part of it was dumb. That was wiggling, unnecess- wiggling the key into the lock was fucking driving me crazy. I was literally in there being like screaming at the screen because I was the only person in there, so I could scream all I wanted. And I was like, "This is dumb. I want my money back." There was no yeah, dramatic but, um, tension. I to would that. say, yeah, with the puzzles and everything, there. I mean, and I think this is part of the thing where the book has this power of nostalgia, specifically '80s nostalgia, and it. I think it actually helps because. When you open up that door and open it up for all decades, like they did for the movie, that you lose a lot of the magic and you lose a lot of focus of why is it a challenge to accomplish this certain goal, which is already ingrained in this 80s world. Mm-hmm. Um, like the race is terrible. The race is god awful. But imagine if that race was a Mario Kart level for New Donk City, even though that's not 80s. That's still going to give you more of a sense of nostalgia as a race than this generic race through New York to the where you just have to drive backwards and you beat it, uh, which is the oh, dumbest no. clue ever. The clues are definitely more intelligible in the book, and they actually make you think a little bit more to- about like, hey, Gary Gygax created this demon one time in Dungeons of Dragons that um, is the rarely... Re- like the least used d- demon ever, and somehow you got to actually talk to it to actually get a key and stuff. To be fair, it's, on uh, the last one, I, I personally liked it because it is like the Easter egg, Easter egg. 
Um, yeah. So and, the adventure and, thing, is, I'm fine with. I think that's great. And also, that I think was, that it's it's it didn't really rely on, like they didn't the way the movie unfolded. They didn't do any of the clue solving to get to that point. So mm-hmm. I thought it was that the third key was easy. It was what came after it that was the hard part. I think that the true test of character. Like the third key was basically an excuse to have a huge battle where the the test of character one was the contract that he didn't sign. And that exactly. to me, it made the third key very excusable that it was one very easy to figure out. Um, and two, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of like running around to actually find go through the clues like the first and second one were. Yeah, How come there were no the Nintendo references? Because they didn't have the license. (laughs) (laughs) That's the easy answer. The the lawyers involved in this movie must have been absolutely nuts. They they oh they were they were pounded. They had probably so much shit to work through getting that stuff locked down. But like Nintendo was probably like, no, we ain't gonna do it. Yeah, yeah. They definitely got Hasbro and uh, Blizzard, Activision, and Disney on board. Were there were there GI Joes and Transformers in there? Did I miss those? It was He-Man, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, I'm looking looking into, like, this, uh, Brylan, I forgot that they were playing Joust, and it was Ultraman in the book, and it wasn't a Gundam, so it was was the Ultraman in the book. Ultraman's uh, still pretty cool, though. Yeah. But but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm kind of upset that there wasn't, like, an Optimus Prime or a Megatron or any of that shit in there. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Michael Bay's fault. But um, the one puzzle I thought was that definitely actually got the nostalgia right was everything at the Overlook Hotel up until the end of it. The just having them walk in and you're back in The Shining was fucking amazing that even like the film grain changed a bit. They're walking down the stairs and they see Jack's typewriter and it's actually writing in the shape of a key. The same things that he would actually type. Uh, seeing the little twin girls and kind of making like a comedic moment out of that, which was like one of the very horrifying moments in that movie, I thought was awesome. But the shining do, part was amazing. The shining part, I mean, it was awesome. I thought that the clue and the puzzle should have been in the the hedge maze, which it was not. It was this is where they just they do something amazing and then they drop it on its ass by the clue and the puzzle being this random game that Halliday made that's about a bunch of dancing zombies and you just got to jump from zombie to zombie. Which didn't make any sense. Jack Nicholson would have been cool if he could have shown up for like that. Like the scene, the scene where he's getting chased through the hedge made with with the axe and you see it like in the corner of the screen, like that's terrifying, but I wanted it to pan out and then just be Jack Nicholson. Like I wanted that to happen. And then the scene. Even having a scary naked lady in room 237 was awesome. Yeah, that scene scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. And then when I watched it in this movie, I was just like, okay, well, now she's CG. I don't give a fuck. Like, she's not that scary because you can, you can literally pinpoint, even though the graphics were like really, really well done in this movie, the scene where she literally switches from being like a legit naked lady with boobs and vagina and everything to digital lady, zombie woman. And even there's the scene where they're like, oh, she turned into a zombie. Oh, there wasn't a zombie in the movie. Yeah, no, there wasn't a zombie in the movie. She was just really decrepit and gross. But like in that scene, it was like, I know what's going to happen, but it wasn't scary because she legit turned into CG. She wasn't like made up like she was in the original movie. 
it would have been cool if they used like actual scenes from the original movie. That would have been cool. I bet it'd be hard to digitally composite it together. Probably a great challenge, but I mean, I would have done it. I would have done it 10 times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I, you know, to agree with that, um, they definitely alluded to the key being in the center of a maze a whole bunch of times, which it ended up being with the whole adventure uh, Easter egg. But uh, I think you're right, Brylon, where I, I could have definitely used it to be in the middle of a literal maze, um, especially with all the like the hazards they had to get to that. Like if you had to go play like a classic duck and jump game to get to the center of that maze with those axes, like that would have been incredible. And that would have fit with the 80s video game nostalgia as well. I mean, because I'm like looking back at it, right? And for like the first clue, it was him playing Joust. And the third clue, he had to play Tempest. And he was playing Monty Python, the Holy Grail. And in order, because he survived the bomb, he played Pac-Man. I remember that. And that's how he got the extra life. And Yeah, the second clue is probably the most interesting because he has to like recite ferris bueller's day off or something like that uh well, this one it was the um or he has to play boy- matthew Broderick in a movie yeah, yeah. but that was yeah but so that was so i think each clue had a like there was a game and then you had to do like a scenario that you had to like figure out remember so the first one was like you play a game and then you have to apply it and then do both to progress you can only do one you can't if you can't do both it doesn't matter did they have um, the library of his memories in the book? He has a, there's a guide, an electronic guide. So okay. there's not like an virtual library. That part was kind of cool. I didn't enjoy okay. that part. Like that concept sort of led to me being like, when I started to, to hint at him being like cognizant in the, in the afterlife, sort of being like, well, what, like, you're not just a memory. You're not just a saved program. Like, what are you? Like, when I was watching the the memories that were built up in that part of the, the movie, at least, um, I kept starting thinking, like, well, shit, like, what is this Halliday that we keep seeing? Because he seems very, like, about it. He seems very, like, you know, aware of what's around him. And then at the end of the movie, when it's just like he asked that question, like, what are you? I was just like, yeah, I've been wondering that, too. I hope I get an answer. And then it's like, the end congratulations well even made it. so the and i think the other thing i was like i was wondering what the, the difference of i think uh wade or parsable in the book like just randomly plays um the per- a perfect game of pac-man and that's yeah. when he's like awarded that coin and that's changed because he just bets him on a bet and gives him this coin and it's like oh okay that's weird i wonder how that's going to come back so you can see that there pac-man's for scrubs yeah <laughs> Yeah. I mean, so I let's say we, uh, we, we talked a lot well, about plot and, you know, differences of the books for right now, too. So we can continue on that sort of trend. Yeah, uh, uh, I would say like one piece that I thought was amazing when it comes to nostalgia and um, just seeing during the big battle, uh, just seeing Serenity come down and then Daito put on his glove and say, I take the form of Gundam. And I was like, oh, my God, this was amazing. Uh, and the way the Gundam moved and everything, I was like, Spielberg, make a Gundam movie right now because yeah. you got this part right. Just do it because it was perfect how they did that. That was I the effect that. I kept having was like, it, it just goes to show how many movies could be made 
super easy by just 3D effects. Like Iron Giant, make a sequel to Iron Giant right now. Brad Bird, please do it right now. They are. You can. Yeah. Yeah, but it's been a while. He's working on Incredibles 2. Give him a break. Yeah, it's coming out this summer. So do it like next summer or do it like now. But I, I did enjoy I, I did enjoy a lot of that battle at the end because like a lot of the stuff they just kind of added in the movie and I'm glad they did. That Mecha Godzilla looked absolutely badass. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but what about real Godzilla? Like, no, that was never supposed to show up. So, <laughs> uh, but I think you get a dinosaur. You get a dinosaur in the uh, the opening race. I right? think it's supposed to be the T Rex from Jurassic Park because uh, Spielberg is a self serving idiot. No, he they took out all his stuff. I don't believe that. Yeah. They did you did. see that, like, no, you're lying. those fancy, like, hops that uh, King Kong was doing? Dude was, like, sporting some moves. He had Jordans on. He had, Jordan. he had the Jordans on. <laughs> That's an inside joke, at it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, I, I'd say, I would say that the movie kind of, like, falters a lot with the nostalgia, but when it does get it right, it does do it really well. And I think that Gundam scene is, like, perfect. Well, the fact that I saw Battletoads and um, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Gundams, I was really hoping for Street Sharks to pop up, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> but it was um, Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles. Yeah, I saw <laughs> that, that too. That was the one faux pas. I was yeah, like, was I almost gasped in the theater. I was like, why can't you have like regular, normal American Ninja Turtles? Michael Bay's yeah. Ninja Turtles are an abomination. It was Killer Kidding. Instinct Battletoads as well. So. Uh, yeah. It was still awesome, so I, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what else you guys got? Any lasting thoughts that we want to talk about? Um, Ready Player One. Toss it over to Brylin. Um. So I would say that um, the movie has some high marks, but a lot of it is very, very low, and it's a. Uh, it's not a good movie, but it is entertaining. It is visually beautiful. So I would definitely watch it, I mean, on Netflix or something, if you have a nice 4K TV. Um, if you want a movie that, I mean, or if you want a series or a movie that actually explores these type of things and does it better, either one, uh, read the book Ready Player One, or to uh, watch Sword Art Online. That's my recommendation. Uh all of it or just the first season and a half season one and season three okay good call <laughs> and i'm still waiting good. to see ordinal scale so i don't know how that is uh, Nerd. <laughs> i'm gonna let you finish brylin but season two is trash uh <laughs> abbott lasting thoughts and things you want to talk about i don't know how to read so i didn't read the book but I did really enjoy the movie. I was surprised. Um, I had the theater all to myself. It was majestic. It was very nice. And I enjoyed the movie because it was in 3D. I haven't enjoyed a 3D movie since Jackass 3D. So that was kind of something to to talk about. It was kind of interesting because I was like, everything's in my face. And it's not flies flying around poop. It's actually like parts of this movie that made sense. Um, But yeah, my my nerd boner was extremely hard during this film. and I would recommend people to go see it, whether or not you've seen you've seen. Well, yeah, if you've seen the book, sure. If you've looked at it, that's fine. But if you've read it, <laughs> you might have a different reaction. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I think it was fun um, for a Spielberg movie. I could definitely look at it and be like, yes, this is a Spielberg movie. That's fine. But um, 
yeah, in general, whatever. Go see it. Check it out. It's entertaining. Um, but it definitely has things that could have improved it and made it better. But it's still a fun movie. So check it out. Blow it. Yeah, I thought it was a great way to start the summer blockbuster uh, stretch. You know, it's it's coming up on the time when, like, you start putting out all the fluff pieces that are, look really pretty and have cool action, but don't actually have any like substance behind them. Um, and it's basically just Avatar ten years later. Like the you know there wasn't a ton that I left feeling like oh my god this changes my opinion on X. That being said, it was it was a pretty solid little story uh, with great special effects. Avatar is garbage. I've never seen it. Start on four twenty-seven. <laughs> uh, I mean, going up to my my lasting thoughts is, I think we talked about it a bunch. as like a nice popcorn film. I'm proud, pretty sure I'll watch this movie in the background, but I'm not. Gonna, I'm never going to pay for this movie again. Um, but it's because I enjoyed the book that much. I mean, the book's not perfect, right? But at least it gives me a. It gives me a, a weird, it gives me a real, more realistic approach of like people's going to do bad shit. And if I'm an actual bad guy, bad person, a villain, they're going to go to like no stops to actually destroy somebody to get what they want. And uh, it felt like uh, this PG-13, although they did say fucking and shit a couple times, they they, they get one F word. And yeah, that was one F bomb. So you, you said there were so many. And when I saw it, I was waiting and there was one and I was like, he kind of mumbled it. I could barely hear what he said. No, that, 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 was, that, was, that was like that was like the greatest. That was so well used. I don't remember. I guess maybe I get my next movie. The Chucky Bomb. Yeah. 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 Is that fucking Chucky? Chucky Bomb was pretty cool. Though. It was. That uh, was so funny. Here, take this I like little it. guy. That was hilarious. Um, but uh, like. I I just really much like just disappointed with the movie. Um, disappointed with how that like how much they changed. How they just removed the character. They removed a lot of stakes. They removed a lot of story. They put in stuff that I felt like they think is visually pleasing. That maybe not best to tell a movie. Um, and I'm just going after the book, right? And if I would have like removed my knowledge from reading the book to just watching a movie, I would probably say I like this movie, and I would probably tell people to go watch this movie because you have a different entirely story. But either a couple of things they need to do, just take the name Ready Player One off, or just say Ready Player One like different universe, or redo this and make it into two potentially three movies and give the time that's needed for these characters for us to grow with these characters. So when she breaks up with him and they have a fight at the dance, like you see that there's an, there's impact that happens with them. And he's been, he's going to go alone. He logs off. He assumes an, a new identity and starts infiltrating this evil co- corporation. And you see the fact that there's um, motive behind his actions and it doesn't just go from beat to beat. Uh, that happens in a movie because we have to push everything down to two and a half hours. So it's kind of frustrating. Uh, I was like pretty disappointed uh, in the movie. I don't know if I'll recommend people to watch the movie if they've seen the book, but if you haven't, I would recommend it. And that's a lot of things. The first time that somebody asked me if I seen play- Ready Player One, the second question they asked me is, "Did you read the book?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's probably not good." But at the same time, I think this these things are going to happen in every sort of book to movie sort of series or um sort of occasion so there you go can i make a quick fear boners interjection no okay well uh if you listen to fear boners and you're a fan of fear uh uh 
scary movies in general, this movie actually does a, a fair amount of references that you might enjoy, including The Shining, but also you see Freddy, Jason, and Chucky throughout the film, which is actually kind of satisfying. But also, there's a great alien reference. It's quick, but it's in there, and it's pretty satisfying. So if you enjoy horror movies, definitely check out this movie. Oh, the little that hand, probably, right? That was yeah, cool. that was probably Goro. That's amazing. Goro. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And with that, we are the Down in Front Podcast, the official podcast of downinfrontpodcast.com. Thanks for hanging out with us. Oh, that was a cat that was dying. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, thanks for uh, hanging out with uh, Ready Player One. That's our entire review. So we definitely kind of check out for more of our work. I'm going to toss it over to Rylan. Where can you find more of your work? Uh, you can find me in the Oasis looking like a giant purple kangaroo. Um, but also on Twitter at Bryland, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Um, on Instagram, I usually will review movies and TV shows, but I reviewed some wine tonight, so check it out. I am Bryland. And when I'm not in California, uh, enjoying the wonderful weather that we have here, uh, I am on the Gamescast hosting it, down in front pod, twitch.tv slash down in front podcast. So definitely check it out. Abbott? Uh, I am the abs man on the internet. You can find me at T-H-E-A-B-B-S-M-A-N. I'm all over the place, all up in your face. Um, I also just recently created an email where you can contact me individually asking any questions about my particular hard fear boner at fearbonersdifp at gmail.com. And I will um, respond to you personally and offensively. But otherwise, uh, you can find me here. Uh, Blow it. Yeah, you can find me on the internet as uh, Mayanus Music or Mayanus Band. Um, still, still, still cracking away at that. You know, we're gonna be big someday. But uh, if you the if you have a album set. yeah, if you have a, a bat mitzvah or confirmation uh, that you need music for a bris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I refuse to go. I'm not. I'm not going to go to a bris that I'm not the one performing it. So, be kind of weird. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Um, Are y'all up to a triple LP yet? Yeah, we're trying to uh, beat what's his face, uh, Guns and Roses for longest between albums. We released an album in high school. We released an EP about a year ago, so I don't think that necessarily counts. So we're we're work. We got another like eight or nine years to go. Um, and then you can find me on email at uh, play with Jesse to make him a happy boy uh, at hotmail.com. Okay. <laughs> That's disgusting. Uh, just just and- do it. Just, just don't work with Jesse because yeah. then you'll just be all of us and start a, a podcast. And we are the Down Front Podcast. Definitely check out more of our work. We have Twitter at underscore DAFP. That's underscore DAFP for Down in Front Podcast. Facebook, facebook.com slash Down Front Podcast as well. For everybody who wants to help us out. And we are doing our third installment of Last Call for all of our patrons. For everybody who wants to get um, some content early and just hang out with us. Definitely check that out. Um, definitely go and donate. That anything and everything super, super helpful. 99 cents up to a dollar. You can, do- you can donate as much as you like. So definitely check that out and become 
uh, a patron to help us out with any sort of costs that we do for the show. Patreon.com slash Down Front Podcast. I also want to give a quick shout out to Mike Blewett for making some amazing music for our actual show. And that is going to be on our SoundCloud. So definitely go check that out. We have a bunch of our works and we have a bunch of other side projects that we've been doing on our website, downinfrontpodcast.com. And we want to thank you so much. And we will see you soon. And for that, we say we love you. So long, farewell. I've used to say get drunk. Doing it. Good night. Oh, yeah.